Hello and welcome to Bottled Up on a mission to create conversations and make the mental health of men a top priority. You're joined by myself, Sunny, and Mayank, close friends from university who want to share the stories of everyday people on our platform. The reason? Because we are not alone. Before we kick this conversation off, thank you for tuning in and listening. If you haven't already, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and follow our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your conversations. It makes a huge difference to our reach with these awesome guests and potentially life-saving conversations. And if you haven't just yet, it takes 20 to 30 seconds to leave us a review and help us out massively. Thank you again, and buckle up for another great conversation. And the man, welcome to Bottled Up, mate. Very, uh, very glad to have you here. And how are you feeling? I'm feeling really, really great. Very humbled. Um, and I've been a long time listener. So definitely pinching myself and feeling a bit surreal that I, I get to share a conversation <laughs> and hopefully pay it forward to, to someone else that's listening out there. Can I just add as, can I just add as well? Mate. Like, I, I was telling Sunny, I was, I think Sunny and I were speaking before this conversation. We are just like, we are genuinely inspired by how charismatic you are. Like, I think that's the one thing that, like, generally sticks out to me, just how charismatic... I think when you speak, it's just, like, musical. So I just thought I'd let you know about that. Yeah. Just, yeah. Start off with the compliment. <laughs> okay. I, I've, nev- I've never heard it described that way. That is that is, that is beautiful. Because music's a big part of my life. We'll probably cover it in my story at one point. But, um, no, I, I appreciate yeah. that, fellas. So, talking about music, uh, we all love a bit of music in mm. our life. And uh, <laughs> Hank and I thought... What better way to start this podcast? Obviously, the people listening in, they, they probably, some people might know you, Dan, some people might not yep. know you. Um, but for the people that do know you, um, I think this is, a, this is a question that's been itching on the surface of a lot of um, Instagram followers of yours. When are we getting more Dan or Dory dance yeah. When is <laughs> that happening? Happen? Come on. <laughs> I feel I feel it's like um I feel like sometimes my life can go into different seasons like a TV sitcom and there was definitely a period with my social media when it was like dance heavy um but whether whether it's just my mobility whether it's just a, you know a new season the I just I'm listening to the audience I'm listening to what the crowds and what the critics are saying and it's more cat content at the moment uh and it's yeah, yeah. and it's more video content so I'm just uh, I'm, I'm if anything I'm just you know I'm, I'm here for the people yeah <laughs> we're, we're keeping an eye out on the Instagram There's uh, some good boom shakalakas of you uh, On stage when you were what, like 10, 11, 12 years old? <laughs> 100% uh, Oh boy, it's always been there though It's never uh, going to leave, I can tell you that So stay tuned, it'll probably uh, ca- yep. crop up a few more times <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's, and, and, and the second question we have And this is a slightly, maybe deeper question um, But I know that we haven't really painted the picture to who you are What your upbringing is like um, What life is like for you But um, which, you know, if you were given the chance, you had a genie that knocked at your door and, and sort of said, hey, Dan, um, which parallel versions uh, of yourself would you want to meet and why? What would you say back to that genie? Oh, wow. I need, I've, I've never been thrown that. Have you, have you ever asked that question before? Uh, it's an original no, one. Haven't. That's the first. Original <laughs> okay. question. That is an original one. Okay. Can you... <laughs> we might have put you on the spot, but there's a... Uh, you, yeah. you definitely have. <laughs> can I ask you just, just to say it one more time, just so I make sure I can do yep. the answer justice? Cool, cool. Yep. If, if a genie was to come to you um, and was like, hey, Dan, which parallel universe version of yourself would you want to meet? You know, who would that be and why? Oh, wow. Okay. You may have alluded to it before, actually, in terms of like my musicality. I think the parallel mm. universe of myself 
would be the version that um, didn't take music and dance and that kind of expressive performing arts as a nice to have afterthought, but the version of myself that like fully leaned into it um, and mm. really explored it with all the opportunities that I had growing up because you know, the Michael Jackson influence growing up, the, the hip hop R&B mm. um, break dancing high school version of me that was always on the precipice, but told myself, I can't make a career of this. I can't do this. That's the version I'd love to talk to and love to have seen what that life could have looked like if I didn't have to go, as we'll share, I guess, in, t- in, in, in today's, um, today's conversation, follow the commerce, safe, conventional path, mm. but just like carve a path of your own. And that's only something I'm discovering now in my later years um, as I'm doing more of that. So that's the parallel um, I'd love to, yeah, to, to, to have a chat with. Can I... Mm. Do I have the opportunity, fellas, to throw the question back your way? I was hoping this like is, this? I hope it is <laughs> to you, you, To be able to bring that heat to me, I need to be able to serve that back. That's such an incredible question. <laughs> could you, um, could you, you repeat you that question? Please? So, uh, <laughs> I'm just buying yeah. myself time. <laughs> As it is, well, if, a, if a genie... Yep. All I'll say is that showing not first, showing not answering first. I think suddenly you get... Yeah, <laughs> hey, bag's so not. I've touched my nose. <laughs> is that how it works? <laughs> um... Oh, let me let me think of that. I yeah, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> I've asked you the question. I haven't really thought about it that much myself. Um, hmm. Oh, it's a it's a tough one. Uh, yeah, I'm actually stumped. Okay. Let me yeah. let me let me come back. No, to, let me okay. let me come back. To it. Mank, have you um, got one? <laughs> no, I'm joking. There. Um, no, no, I, I um, no, I think a version of myself that I would love to meet would be one that doesn't fear the unknown mm. i think um one that is comfortable with um with not knowing what's going to happen in the future yeah exactly um someone that's who's mm. comfortable with being uncomfortable i think that's what that's a version of myself that i'd love to meet and there are certain things in my life at the moment where i'm i'm making big kind of life decisions and in my mid-20s or mid to early 20s and i and i and right now what's dictating whether i take any kind of risk is whether I know what's going to happen in the future or not. Um, so I would love to meet mm. a, a, a version of my Sahani that, um, that is comfortable with being uncomfortable and not knowing what's going to happen in the future. Mm. Beautiful. I think, I think for me, I've always valued connection as one of my core values. That's a, that's a big part of who I am. And that's one of the reasons why I love having conversations. Um, and this is probably something that's been developed over time, like being able to be a lot more curious about people's stories, <clears throat> being able to dig deeper, understand what ticks us in, in the ways that it does. And I think that's a manifestation of bottled up for you and I, Mang. Um, I think the version of myself that I'd love to have visited is the one that always continued having conversations growing up, um, continued asking why um, from, a, from a people perspective, like always asking why people do the things that they do. Um, Dan, I think the the question, the the thing that comes up in my mind is one of the podcasts that you had spoken on, and you know, I think uh, I think it was Apex podcast, or yeah. um, the guy had asked you, like, you know, when your parents asked you, <clears throat> when you're when you're growing up, what do you want to be when you're forty or fifty, yeah. and uh, you're twelve year old, and you sort of flipped that question, and you were said, you would have loved to have that foresight to ask, you know, the person asking you, did you like, are you doing what you thought you wanted to be doing when you were younger as well, and I think being able to ask those questions quite young. Um, I think that really would have helped me shape into who I am because I think a lot of the decisions that I've been doing, especially growing up during my um, formative years as a teenager and even in uni, I kind of just did it without thinking too much. But the person that asked why 
um, and, and questioned his decisions and seeked more connection as he was going through those experiences. Um, I think that would be a really wonderful person to know where that Sonny would have landed. Yeah. I don't know if I've done that justice in the way I've explained that, but the one that sort of asked more wise um, and connected more to the reason we do things the way they are. Um, and I'm, start, I'm starting to develop that voice in myself now where I'm kind of questioning things. Like, why is, it, why is that the case? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So I think that version. Love it. Um, if there's a common denominator so yeah. I found between all three, like beautiful, beautiful responses to both of you is the discovery that we've all been having the last two, three years seems to be the thing that we all wish we started doing earlier because Sonny, you are mm. asking why a lot more. Like, Mank, I know you're moving more into that space of being comfortable with the uncomfortable. The fact you're even having the self-awareness to reflect on that now mm. means that it matters to you. So mm. I can see I can see it coming through all three of us. Yeah, And I love the jumper as mm. well. It literally just says seek discomfort. So uh, I love the jumper yeah. that you're wearing. So it seems like <laughs> yeah. it's a... It re- res- resonates. It resonates yeah. with you. So that, that's awesome. Um, I'm actually very curious about this as well, Dan, um, because I think at the moment we've got you as Daniel Mamba Odoi. What's yep. what is the mum? What does the mumba stand for? Like for for me, I, I've always known mumba is you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, mumba mentality. Yep. What, but for those of you who, who aren't familiar with that, you know, what does that mean? And and um and I guess yeah, can you give us give us a bit of context around that. Happy to, and I'll give the, I'm going to give the the PG appropriate version for this. There is uh, a cheekier version that is maybe for offline. So for anyone who's listening, including you would ever like to hear, um, reach out to me separately. I'll happy to give you the story um, for what it is. The the more common um, and the more, yeah, the the more acceptable version I'd say is growing up, um, as you have touched on Mank, I played basketball for a good portion of my childhood. and so I think I was just coming off the era when Michael Jordan was kind of retiring and wrapping up his like, incredible run with the Chicago Bulls. <clears throat> and Phil Jackson, um, you know, incredible legacy coach, um, you know, eventually found his way to uh, the Los Angeles Lakers um, and then mm. coaching a young Kobe Bryant. Mm. So that kind of became, you know, I missed Jordan's era, but, but Kobe kind of became my icon in many ways and sharing a birthday with him August 23rd um, oh, wow. and then playing uh-huh. basketball. Yes, yeah, so playing basketball for many years. Um, it just felt like I, I somewhat became synonymous um, with just him as a player. I didn't think I was him. I never, you know, I didn't um, have the skill or the tenacity that he did, but um, he was just very iconic with his mindset. And, and as we've heard the phrase Mamba mentality being coined a lot, it's this discipline and it's this pursuit and this philosophy that is more than just what he did on the court. It was also off the court and how he approached life. Mm. And I think he was one of those athletes that started talking more about life outside of the sport that they were renowned for. Don't get me wrong, there are many other athletes that do that, or often we hear it through their autobiographies, but through Kobe, I think often through post-game interviews and reflections, like he'd always share these nuggets that I'm like, that's that's not just, he's not talking about just the game here. He's talking about the game of life more broadly. Um, and that was what, yeah, really resonated. So fast forward to 2011 and Instagram starting to become, you know, everyone's signing up and grabbing handles and doing whatever they can. And I just grabbed Dat Black Mamba yeah. at the time, which which is like one of those regrettable Hotmail addresses we all made when we were like 12. We didn't know any better. But I think I've just felt so much like, you know, momentum with it and so much nostalgia that I haven't let it go. So that's become shortened to Mamba over these years. And in the absence of having a middle name, um, thanks mum and dad, shout out. Um, Mamba has very much unofficially become that. Also, as you guys may have seen in a recent video that I've shared, my name Daniel and my last name Odoi gets butchered an incalculable number of times at award nights, at announcements, um, my entire life. So Mamba has been the only formidable name that just does not get broken 
in enunciation and, and sticking to that's been a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> no, my my, uh, my coffee name is actually um, Matt. So, and I think Mayangsahani yep. <laughs> definitely isn't like the most uh, most simple yeah. simple of all names. So, thanks, mum and dad, as well for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, threw it on you. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting you mentioned uh, about Kobe Bryant as well because I feel like he his legacy, but obviously after after his death a couple of years ago, mm. very tragic. Um, I feel like a lot when when people speak about his kind of legacy, it's not really much about his basketball, but it's actually about his about his life outside yeah. the sport, which is exactly what you said. But um, you know, when you were obviously when you were younger, you know, I, when I was younger, I had a lot of idols, and I and I think with with you and and one thing that and I mentioned this before earlier in the conversation, um, it's the this 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 extroverted energy that I get that we get from you, um, Dan, it's like, it's something that we, we both, that, that Sonny and I both have reflected on and we, and we love, that's what we love. Like, that's why we're really, really looking forward to this conversation. I um, you're charismatic and you're very extroverted. Was that always, were you always like this when you were younger as well, when you were growing up? Yeah, it's, um, my mum would tell you otherwise that for the first three years of my existence, <laughs> yeah. like this wasn't the case. Yeah. So I, um, didn't actually speak until the age of three. I'm not, um, mm. you know, well-versed in terms of like childhood and baby development and infant development, that apparently you're meant to be saying words like as soon as maybe 12 to 18 months. So mm. now you have to imagine like, you know, my, my mum's had my older sister. Um, she came out talking, walking, doing the normal thing. And then I come across <laughs> second in the pack and I'm not saying a word until like, th- like 36 months and I'm just sitting there. But mum always noted that I was like, I was just curious, eyes wide open, taking on everything in my environment, just, con- just consuming through my eyes, right? And my ears. And then at some point, I just mumbled the word pizza because there happened to be <laughs> a pizza hut located on the corner. We were living in um, Preston, just North Melbourne, when we first, when our family yeah. migrated to Australia. And the sign and the lights of it every single time was somehow more important as a, you know, as my <laughs> verbal expression than saying mum or dad, which mum will always hold me to. The irony is pizza is my favourite uh, food still to this day. So from that point onwards, mum just observed it was, I was just like a tap. It was just always on. Mm. I was just talking, sharing, discussing. Sometimes just I could have a conversation with myself. People were just watching. That's often what mum described it as. Um, but I would say that um, to, to your point in, in terms of like, you know, was it always like this? I sometimes also think that our childhoods um, really do shape a big part of the behaviours that we adapt or model. Um, so we might have a, sure, a genetic predisposition to certain behaviours, but that those initial environments that are so formative that we spend so much of our years around, I think catalyze or suppress certain behaviors in us and for me my household was one where um, I had two migrant parents uh, that I guess the best way I can say it is we're doing the best they could and all parents are Mm -hmm. all of us really are and they both came from two environments Uh, my late Ugandan father from um, you know East African country um, my Ukrainian mother from you know like a, a Soviet country at the time conversation and expression didn't exist so as a result we didn't really see much of that from mum and dad growing up. And, and I understand why after all these years later, but when I was younger, my curious brain was always saying, you know, why isn't there conversation? How come when I go to school, everyone's talking and I go to my friend's place and I go mm. to the basketball game and I go here, everyone's talking, there's always expression. You turn the TV on and we really praise and celebrate people that can articulate and can communicate. So I came home and my problem solving operations brain went, how do I solve this? That, that, that's what I think my, my younger inner child was, was trying to do. So I just talked. I was just trying to fill the gap and fill the air. And while blabbing, you know, a, a stream of consciousness every day, um, mm. I started finding that, you know, expression through language and through words and through communication um, was a skill that I was probably starting to clock 
you know, the common phrase, the 10,000 hours, I was probably starting to do it at a faster rate than most people. So by the age of six, I'd probably already clocked 20,000 hours compared <laughs> to the average person. And that was my Toastmasters. That was my debating. You know, that was my public speaking experience. You know what I mean? And, and so when people say like, have you always been like that? I think I, I was a product of an environment that, that kind of enabled it for me. Um, but mm. had I been in an environment where either everyone in my family was talking and I was a younger sibling, I'd like to say it's probably very unlikely I'd be how I am at the moment. Mm. 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 That's mm. very well said. And you mentioned there, like, obviously being brought into a you know, biracial household, biracial family, you know, the son of or the product of you know, two immigrant parents, um, your late father being Ugandan and, and your mother being Ukrainian. Um, you know, what was it like... Um, you know, being able to like, how how were you able to celebrate and relate to both your Ugandan and Ukrainian side growing up? Yeah, it was a, it was actually something that didn't happen. Uh, I think very organically, and it didn't actually happen mm. for a very long time. So. I, I doubt there was ever a conversation um, between my parents because, as I'd mentioned, and as you know, you and m many of this audience would relate to as first or second generation mm. immigrants, your parents are in what I call like survival mode. They're doing what they can to support the family, to feed them, to put them through an education, to pay for the mortgage, to support their family back at home and sending money overseas, which is often something that, that occurs. So even having a conversation about being like, what are the implications of our kids being brought up as mm. biracial or polyracial, you know, children in an Australian society. I, I, I doubt my parents probably had the privilege or luxury of even being able to do that. Um, even though I can grow mm. up and thinking like, oh, why didn't they do that? It's just unfair to, you know, put that kind of expectation on them because that's such a different lived experience. Being mm. parents who probably didn't even understand their yep. own identity, yep. having left countries where they formed their identity associated to where they came back at home. So as often with many biracial families, they fall into that third way where they're kind of, they're neither here, they're neither there, they're every culture, but they're neither culture. And it's really hard to define yeah. that. So I understood why growing mm. up, there wasn't much of a conversation around it. And it probably wasn't until um, year 12. So I was... I was uh, 18 years old. And as you guys would know, there's the, there's the infamous schoolies, oh, the schoolies. rite of passage. Uh, everyone, yeah, I, wait, did you guys do it? Nah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I went straight I, to I, India. I went, I, oh, similar story. I went, okay, yeah. went Phillip Island. Amazing, Phillip Island. Yeah, got, got the beach house, did the thing. So, so Mank and I yeah. were probably like, you know, the guys who were like jealous because, you know, all our mates were, were living large and, and doing the dream end of year 12 um, getaway. So I, I had that dilemma where when finishing year 12, it was, um, I could either fund my own schoolies trip. Um, I had some, some friends going to Gold Coast. I think some were even thinking of going like overseas or I could have gone with my family to Uganda. And, and for reference, my father was um, to be the best man for his childhood friend who was remarrying. And so mm. this was an opportunity when my mum went like to, you know, to my late father, Sylvester, um, or Sly as he was known as, um, take the kids. <laughs> Like, the, like, like my little sister was going from year nine to year 10. I was finishing year 12 to first year uni. So it was this window when like, you know, it wasn't a crucial holiday period when we needed to be studying or preparing for anything. And I'm so grateful mum pushed that because, you know, she was like, we don't get this opportunity very often. And, and I didn't know my family over in Uganda, like other than a few photos, um, I, didn't, I didn't speak a shared or common language with all of them. Um, the internet and social media wasn't as prolific as it is nowadays. So I didn't see photos. We weren't FaceTiming and Zooming. We had no real relationship with them but we knew they existed and so if it wasn't for that you know really great nudge from mum it was originally just going to be one of the kids and then it was all the kids come over um plus mum and just like the immersion into seeing this entire other life um, and this entire side of the family was to your to answer your question Sunny, the first time 
I mean, I, I couldn't even, it wasn't even celebrating initially. It was just absorbing. It was just that two-year-old, three-year-old Daniel sitting there with eyes wide open, ears wide open again, being like, mm. I am learning and, and just downloading an entire another side of my lineage, my late father's side that I never had. And dad could have said all of this, but the power of seeing it firsthand and living it and breathing it. And even though you had grandparents and relatives that didn't share a language with you, but just embraced you and hugged you as one of their own, danced, sang, fed you, um, was just a, a visceral experience. And that to me was probably mm. the first time I could then leave that trip having absorbed it all and being like, I am really proud. I do know who I am. I'm fortunate that I've now seen it and felt it. And it's hard to convey or mm. communicate to others out there. But if I can have conversations, mm. you know, like this or um, be really open and upfront, I feel that's a way I can celebrate the culture um, mm. in a way that maybe, you know, traditional, um, you know, schooling or um, conversations around the dinner table growing up couldn't. And that was, um, yeah, that was a really big moving experience for me. Mm. And in terms of your identity there, Dan, I mean, you mentioned your you're half Ukrainian, Ugandan, Australian. Um, and there's so many different sort of layers to that, I guess. And how do you sort of see your identity at the moment? Do you see yourself as Ugandan? Do you see yourself as Australian? Or do you sort of see the more African side coming out? Yeah. And, and I think the phrase that I just think clipped off what you said was at the moment because it feels so fluid. And that's a big part about life in general is that it's this never ending like river stream where you're always the same person, but you're also never the same person. And so I know that's kind of I'm like- glad you picked up on that. Yeah, yeah. no, it was, it was, and I'm glad, yeah, you, I'm I'm glad, glad you, you said it yeah. because I would have said it's at the yeah. moment. You know, if you asked me this question a year ago or five years ago, um, the answer would keep changing and it's going to continue to evolve. Exactly. As will everyone yep. here. So, you know, I can say, you know, given uh, for, for recent example, at least at the time of this recording, given the ongoing conflict um, that's been going on in, you know, Eastern Europe, um, my Ukrainian side um, through my mother kind of then becomes more of a forefront to me, whereas I might feel like other mm. aspects of my identity take a back step mm. and that's okay. Um, you know, when I'm mm. kind of stepping up and understanding or educating quite under the implications of what's going on and talking to my mom and supporting her and our extended family friends that are in the region, I definitely feel like that identity kind of, yeah, steps forward, but it doesn't negate or doesn't dismiss mm. being Ugandan mm. or being an Australian or um, any other roles and titles that I play. So it's like such a pertinent question. And I feel like I probably haven't directly answered it with what I've said, um, mm. but I feel like I'm, I'm, really, I'm really grateful that I feel like I have this self-awareness to not feel pigeonholed or boxed in. And mm. something that has been probably one of the biggest challenges I've had in my entire life is feeling like I've found comfort or feeling like I've needed to feel boxed in because I never knew what I actually mm. was when I didn't realize that that is my... One, not, I don't want to call it my superpower, but that's a really beautiful trait and aspect of not just me, but everyone, you know, listening, everyone on this call, everyone who's listening to this podcast is that you get to write your own story and define mm. what you are. You don't have to wait for an external label or title or promotion or whatever it might be to tell you what you are. I think just the lack of conversation growing up in my household meant that I was asking these questions internally, but couldn't find the answers. Mm. And fortunately, yeah. because of that curiosity, we then go on this journey that we all do ourselves. And it is a journey because it's never ending um, of just trying to dig a little bit deeper and, and lean a little bit more into who you are and what really lights you mm. up. And then you can define yourself. So I think that's my best answer for it. Very well said. And you mentioned there, like you asked a lot of questions to yourself growing up. And I can only imagine, you know, at least for me, I, I didn't have much of an outlet um, growing up, like at home as well, like our family, I grew up with my mum, have a younger brother, dad wasn't very present growing up as well. And I had a lot of questions and I often bottled it up. Um, I often didn't have an expression for it. And when I did, it was on the football field when I was playing and sort of letting out my rage, kicking the footy or tackling others. And <laughs> that was my, and that was my outlet. Did you, did you yeah. like, 
I guess twofold, like as you were asking these questions to yourself internally, what was that process like for you? And, and two, how did the role of friends, um, how, how did the aspect of friends play a role in your life? Because um, I can only imagine that when you can't ask these questions to yourself, at a certain point, they, they flow out, they flow out. And, and so I'm keen to know how that sort of played out for you. Yeah, Sonny, I'm so glad you, you, you channeled your, um, your, your questions <laughs> or, or, your, or your attention in a positive way on the field. I, I would have hated to have been on the, the receiving yeah. end of, uh, of yeah. your rap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, I was <laughs> everyone, everyone sees me as a very calm kid. Um, and very like relaxed, but I was an angry kid growing yeah. up. <laughs> that's why that, I can tell it's, it's like, it's the silent assassin. Yeah. You've got that look yeah. about you. That's, that's why I know you'd be the one to, to watch on the yeah. field. Um, but, <laughs> but coming back to those questions, um, uh, question number one is like, how did I go about, yeah, the, the process of asking those questions. Mm. Um, for me, it was, I think just having this furious and curious, um, kind of pursuit <laughs> for knowledge through reading, through just doing a lot of different things. I, I really just said yes to anything and everything growing up because I felt like I was in this pursuit of answers. So whether it was through, um, you know, reading the Bible because my family grew up in mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a kind of not a traditional, probably more of a progressive um, Christian household, um, whether it was, you know, taking on philosophy and reading every book that my teacher prescribed us, you know, in year nine, whether it was having conversations with as many people as possible of all walks of life. I think that drove just this insatiable desire because as you find more answers, you realize you have more questions, mm. you know, that tyranny of knowledge yep. where once you learn more, you learn how much you don't know. And, and so it kind of fueled this like, you're probably like unhealthy cycle um, <laughs> of just having my brain always working and always on. And I couldn't actually find a place where I could to myself say, like, you're enough, Dan. Like, it's okay to not have all the answers. I don't think I ever had that self-moderation or regulation to say that's, that's all right. And so sometimes because of that frustration and that inability to get a question from a counsellor or like a school counsellor or a teacher or my mum or whoever it was, I definitely felt this very destructive sense of self and... I may have channeled it positively. I may have channeled it negatively. I think I was so occupied and engaged playing four sports outside of school and having academics and doing leadership initiatives that I'm glad it never became a really toxic and negative behavior. Um, so like you, Sonny, I was probably like the silent assassin <laughs> on the basketball court, lacrosse court. I also did karate for a couple uh, of years, so I'm go. glad I managed to channel it in <laughs> that kind of way. So karate kid. Just, 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 just a bit of everything. So that, <laughs> so I'm harmless. Up, Man, come harmless. I'm harmless. <laughs> let me tell you that. Um, but but then to your your second question as well, Sunny. Friends were a pivotal role for that, and I'm so so mm. grateful. Um, I managed to, to find myself in a um, in a state secondary school that had an incredibly multicultural mix of kids. So for reference, um, I, I grew up in the eastern suburbs in Melbourne. Um, so very kind of Caucasian um, uh, kind of environment. And, and the, the, the primary school and the secondary school I went to meant that I was. Um, very much on, racially an outlier um, and then so, so always mm-hmm. acknowledging that you know I was in some way different um, having gone to this state school that was very multicultural with a very strong Southeast Asian um, you know representation who were also biracial or first generation second generation migrants and finally having conversations that made me feel seen and heard and understood and having shared lived experiences mm-hmm. for me was one of those major unlocks that I don't want to say you know 
in, in, a, in a catastrophic way, like saved my life, but I think helped me finally start to like put some pieces together that I'd been ruminating over for maybe the first 10 to 15 years of my life. And so I joined this school when I was, yeah, 14 or 15 years old and still some of my best mates this day uh, came from that environment. And I'm not surprised because I think we were all just kind of these little, these little sovereign beings that were trying to find each other and, and, and connected mm. in such a, such a beautiful environment. Yeah. Mm. You, you made me think of a question just there as well when you were saying that. Um, growing up, obviously the conversation now around race and inclusivity and culture, that has been so well progressed over the last couple of years, especially COVID has played a huge role in that as well. Like, um, did you ever find it like isolating, especially when you were growing up in the 90s and early thousands, um, you know, being biracial um, and finding your place to fit in? I know you talked about how you found your circle in primary school and the state school as well, but... Um, how did you find the conversation back then and, and how did that make you feel? Um, I'm, obviously t- yeah. I'm obviously making you, you know, go, go back a couple of years, but yeah, yeah. I know, I know the, the discussion, the dialogue, everything is so different um, to what it was back yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the best way of, of probably explaining it um, is in reference to a story that just never leaves mm-hmm. me um, when I was in, in, in grade three. So for full reference obviously the phrase biracial or polyracial just just didn't mm. exist to you know 10 year old me at the time and to really broader broader society anyway mm. so um i think it had first confronted me when we were sitting in a classroom and um one of the students across from me um obviously i'll protect his name but i hold nothing <laughs> against him he was just he said what he did like we all we all just say naive things that thinking twice yep. and i had a I had a um a pack of pencils and he was coloring in and he asked me to hand him a skin-coloured pencil. So those were the words, skin-coloured mm-hmm. pencil. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to those who, who probably can't see my, my complexion, I, I'm of a darker kind of like brown complexion. Um, but I know, and the funny thing is, I knew, and this is a strange, you know, strange reflection now that I say right now, I knew he was looking for the cream, like lighter-coloured, mm-hmm kind of beige colored pencil. So instinctively, I just pulled it out and handed it to him. But something about that moment stuck with me longer than just, you know, that, that split second. I can't tell you anything else that happened on the day. I can't tell you like what I wore, what we were coloring in, what was there, but something about that stood out and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I think it wasn't until years later that literacy and as you said, Sonny, this broader conversation we're having about what it means to be biracial or have different identities, it just, I just had this light bulb moment and, and I'll be honest, I just started crying profusely for probably about 10 to 15 mm. minutes when I reflected on that memory and why it stuck with me. I didn't think of much of it at the time. So that is probably, you know, the, the, one of the early instances where, um, you know, crossing over or, or highlighting a moment that I'd had with my own racial identity had stuck. And there were obviously many other times throughout my childhood, whether it was comments about my hair, um, racial stereotypes about what it's like to be brown and in some way associated with African-Americans, which isn't my heritage, but you know, the, the, when people see media conveying the Will Smiths of the world and a lot of American TV and Saturday Disney, bless, you know, like um, all those great shows that were there, I was the closest thing to that character. So understanding that people were therefore projecting onto me what they'd seen in their mind, that's where they were actually coming from. It wasn't from a malicious place. It wasn't meant to be. And, you know, furthermore, I, I couldn't even, I didn't have the maturity to even have the conversation with them and to let them know what it felt like to be in my position. So, um, yeah, for, for, the, for the grade three student who was across me and for everyone else who ever said that comment, like I just, I have so much compassion and understanding because no one knew any better. Even I didn't even know it myself um, of, of looking back at it now. Mm. You, you mentioned there that you were compared to Will Smith. I, I can just tell you right now that like, 
you you are a much better bloke than yeah. Neville Smith. So, um, yeah. <laughs> at the time, so, at the time of this recording, there's a, there's a, there's a reason why you say of, that. At, at, at the time of this recording, yes, like, I think they would. Um, but I, I um, I, I've been. I'm not sure about you, Sunny, as well. Maybe you can answer as well. But like, I've I've been very fortunate to have not have had like any untoward or even unintentional sort of like racist kind of comments just directed towards me. Thankfully, not too sure about you, Sunny, as well. Have you been in? I feel like for me, it's, this is this is this is much of this is a much broader conversation. Mm. But like um, in primary school, yes, a little bit. I used to pack curry. Mum used to make amazing food, but that used to stink the locker room, and so I copped a couple of <laughs> couple of slacks <laughs> for that. Um, and then, and and yeah, then, I, and then that, I think yeah. uh, that really, I think in year six is when I started developing a mask. And so in year seven, I completely shifted how it's a new slate, new cohort, mm. new everything. I put on a mask and I think I had a much better experience um, in high school um, yeah. around brand new people um, and I had learned how to sort of contain myself in those environments. And so um, to your question, yes. Um, and then to the second part of the question, yeah. um, I sort of trained myself. And I think part of that is like now taking that mask off and, and finding ways yeah. to integrate authentic, uh, authentically um, uh, and yeah, do so without having a mask. But yeah, back to you. Yeah. I think, yeah, because, like, I think um, cause I had a very, I, had, I think I had a very similar thing. Like, when I was growing up, we were, I mean, Dan, we were talking about identities just before. Yeah. And, and the reason why I said, um, what are you right now is because I, I also experienced the very, and I'm very glad you picked that up because I, um, when I was younger as well, I always considered myself to be, like, you know, just, like, fully Australian. I kind of, like, neglected my entire mm. Indian, like, side. I was yeah. actually very embarrassed by my Indian side. Mm, like, I was it was, um, and I think... Like I even in the cricket, like I think I've told Sunny this as well. Like even even in the cricket, something as simple as that, I'd go for Australia because like you know I'd always like, oh, why would you go for why would you go for India, mate? Like you're living in Australia, we're in Australia, mate. Like why, why would you go for Australia? Oh, and then I got I, even like I copped a lot of shit from a lot of my Indian mates, but I'm like, nah, I'm I'm Australian, mate, 100. percent But then after I feel like that kind of shifted after university when. I just started hanging out with a lot of Indian people. Like all yep. my friends just turned from white to brown. <laughs> yep. Like it was just, it, it was, it was literally, it was just like, just, just like that. And it was like, and I, and I was like, well, why, why was that the case? Maybe I was like subconsciously or unconsciously just gravitating towards mm. what I was comfortable with. And that was to just to hang around people who look like me, speak like me, have the same values as me. Um, and I think if, like, for example, if you look at me and Sunny, we are literally exactly the same person. Like it, everything about our life is exactly the same, perhaps maybe from apart from a few abs here and there. So like, um, not saying who does and doesn't think, have them. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, not saying who doesn't, doesn't have them exactly. Um, and I feel like, you know, and, and on that, on that topic of identity as well, I think, um, did that risk taking kind of attitude that your that your that your parents had obviously that that had very 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 big rewards living in melbourne you know having a successful you know living a very successful life um at the moment like did that kind of risk-taking mentality did that, did that rub off in you rub off on you in any way i think you're um i think you're even helping me reflect on that right now for the first time mm. because to them it doesn't seem like risk you know, like to them, mm. it seems like it's the only other way. And every situation can be reframed. Mm. So in the same way, it's like growing up, you know, and, and I love that you said that, like, you know, our parents were making moves and, and, and migrating and setting up shop and, and doing the complete unknown at our age. So if they normalized moving to another continent, knowing no one 
and I'm not going to say that like, you know, starting a family is starting a business, but in some ways you can see certain parallels, right? There's a lot of unknowns, mm. you know, you're, you're projecting growth and ROI, just joking, we're not going to enter corporate <laughs> chat here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and so, and so for them, like, like, yeah, what seems like risk or a perception to others. And I remember so many times when, when we'd be around Caucasian family friends and they'd say, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe you did that. That's, I, I can't imagine possibly doing that and risking your life or, 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 you know, taking the risk in doing that. But then to mum and dad, they were like, it was, it was the only choice we had. Like we had to get out of the country or we had to leave. We had to go for a better life for our family because we didn't want to bring our kids up in that kind of way. So yeah, normalizing that level, that threshold, it's a difference I'd say between like blind risk and informed mm. risk. Obviously they made a good decision um, based on the research they'd done. But in, in a similar way, Mank, I think, yeah, I'd implicitly inherited that growing up where I constantly went, hang on a second. Like I'm worried about what someone's going to think if I do this or if I wear that or if I act like this or do that involvement my parents like like my my mum left like the ussr you know mm. like my, my dad left his mm. home country they, they came to a place in the absence of the internet social media they'd never seen australia other than knowing that maybe like there were kangaroos <laughs> and it was a hot country right and they thought that yeah. they were literally going to be moving to the desert when like their um the the embassy um rep that was you know working on their their immigrate their visas and whatnot said I reckon Australia is probably going to be better between Canada and the US. Um, and they were like, what country, what city do you want to go to? And mum and dad were like, we don't know. What do you recommend? They said Melbourne. Mm. So like, all right, cool. They just, mm. they took this word of this like stranger and based on, and then their entire life has cascaded from a decision that they had no wow. control or real wow. information over. So growing up, the more and more I heard mum and dad sharing these little tidbits, when I just asked them little bits of their story, I think the perspective I got was like, that is what I'm worried about right now pales in comparison to some of the life decisions and the gravity of what they've made. And to a degree, maybe that's freed me of, of having to second guess myself as often as I, as I would have growing up, you know, and I know it's, it, it's, it's risk and, and fear is, is subjective and it's unique to all of us. Um, but that's why for me talking to so many people and getting the widest perspective possible wasn't going to remove the fear, but it was just going to give me another way of looking at it. And I sometimes think, you know, reframing your position in life is, is what's really important. And so I didn't realize that for most of my life in many ways, my mum and dad were, were, were doing the same and were implicitly normalizing and giving me another view on what risk or concern or uncertainty look like in my life. I'd be curious to ask if I can, man, because I know something we shared um, earlier in our conversation was about that idea of becoming comfortable in the uncomfortable. Um, and, and I really embrace that philosophy. You can kind of see, for those seeing with the video yeah. replay, <laughs> seek discomfort is yeah. like printed on my, my hoodie at the moment. Um, yeah. How do you feel like as a result of either friends or um, your own journey, your own exploration, you've actually been able to start working through that sense of like, what is my comfort zone? Um, why do I get uncomfortable and how do you expand, you know, what it looks I like for so you? I am so keen for this answer, by the way. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, mate. That is a, that is a fantastic question. And um, I don't know, like, I've, I've definitely reflected on this with Sonny before and um, I might tell a bit of a story here if you don't mind. Um, actually, um, so I think earlier in the year, um, Sonny uh, recommended that I uh, do a bit of journaling. Um, that's something that I haven't really done or implemented in my life. Um, at all yeah. um, over the past sort of it's like uh, a stream of consciousness yeah, yeah. and you get a, you get a very you get a very good stream of consciousness exactly like you mentioned Sunny. Um, so I sat at a cafe um, and I literally just essentially what Sunny said just go to a cafe sit down and just start writing um, <laughs> and just you know just see what comes out so that's what I did I went to a cafe um, in Mount Waverley sat down opened the laptop and just started typing and like from there it was like you know, it was just a, 
just paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of just just everything and I think one of the things that I found out in that session and reflecting on um, my life at the time was that um, you know I think I was very very yeah, I, I hated discomfort I did not like it and I still don't like it what am I talking about I still don't like it and I did and I couldn't really find where the line was between you know being comfortable and or my comfort zone where I, I find it hard to sort of figure out where my comfort zone was or where my comfort zone is rather and where my discomfort zone starts um and it's kind of hard as well as in reflecting on that it was it was the reason why i feel like i can't find out my comfort zone where my comfort zone lies is because you know i've lived i've been very very for i'm not saying at all this is a bad thing at all this has been great on my life awesome it's been it's been awesome like i haven't had really too much um I've lived a pretty comfortable life, to be honest. Like I've lived, um, you know, grew up in a very like a nice, very good family. Um, you know, went to a really nice school, um, went to a really good university. Like everything was just, um, you know, everything was just, you know, it was it was pretty pretty standard, pretty pretty awesome. And I feel like now it's like you know I've been living so I've been so used to living in this comfort zone that I haven't had the opportunity to you know experience the other side. And I think. Mm everyone has to experience that other side that other side and for people that i've spoken to who are much older than me they've, they've literally said the exact same thing they said you know you need to go and seek that kind of discomfort like that you've mentioned dan and very serendipitously is in oz on your jumper that that is tattooed on your jumper right now seek discomfort um and yeah like it's just been it's been a really really awesome experience and um I was actually watching, um, and I'm going off topic here a little bit, but I was watching, um, you know, I was watching a bit of uh, yes. Will, uh, not Will Smith, Dead Dead Poet Society, um, and you know, there's, there's a certain decision in my life at the moment that I want to try and make, um, but I'm sort of making it through the <laughs> first lens in of MTV, being first in. Um, then I watched uh, Dead Poet Society. I'm not sure if you've seen that, Dan. If you've seen that, yep, yep. Um, so essentially, there's a scene in that in that movie where um, you know, Robin Williams takes all the students to uh, a window which shows yes. the pictures, which which shows the pictures of all the past graduates of the school, yep. and he says, you know, um, and it's that's why they, that's why yep. the famous words "carpe diem" was was sort of said or spoken, um, which is "seize the day." Um, I had those words in my mind when I when I was like, you know, I need, I need to do this, um, and you know, like like you said, seek discomfort. And I think even Will Smith, yeah. I, I know we've mentioned Will Smith before this. Will Smith also says that the good things in life are on the other side of fear. Um, so um, I think that's something that's definitely a line that's that, that's that's um, resonated with me, not just mm. a slap. There's always there's always, <laughs> there's always something yeah. Um, yeah. yearning on the other end of resistance. I've always found whenever yes. there's resistance towards something, there's something that's being unmet. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's so beautiful as you take that as a framework in life. When you when you are posed all these situations and there is something scary on the other end, it's a question of asking yourself. And actually, when we age, we actually become a lot more risk averse as well. I don't know what happens in our brain, um, just the development of the brain. We end up becoming a lot more risk averse. And that's why when you look at yourself you know, when you're 30, when you're 40, and you look back at your actions when you're 20, you're like, oh, I would never do that again. That was so silly. Mm. But it's it's actually those moments that stick out to you as being the most memorable so um yeah man i'm keen i'm keen to see <laughs> where you are in a couple of months later. Of <laughs> let's see how it let's see how it goes um, um but talking yeah. talking about europe um dan um i know you you spent some time traveling and, and exploring the world 
uh, over there. And I know you had a very similar background to us, you know, obviously doing commerce. Um, mm. I'm keen to know because obviously there's so much ground in there and we can probably have a whole other episode speaking about that. Like the reason you chose commerce and the reason you're now in marketing and something so much more creative. <laughs> um, yeah, like why did you do commerce and, and sort of looking back at that experience there? Um, you obviously had the chance to go to Europe. Um, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, appreciate they are. Uh, yeah, the similarities we've had in our, in our journey, which which means that I don't mean to, to surface or, or trigger any PTSD from, from those years, from those formative working years, but um, a little bit more around the seeds of, of I guess, mm. how I got there. And, and yeah, keen to hear for you guys as well, what kind of motivated the, the Europe trip. Mine was, mine was not as glamorous uh, as you might think, but yeah. I'll lay the story yep. to it. Um, Commerce for me, it the, the real answer was it felt like the the like it just made the most sense for me to do at the time. We, we often asking that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you do? And I think for me, I just kind of knew what I didn't want to do. Mm. So as I mentioned earlier in that conversation, I had that like real curiosity where I try learners. I didn't need to learn everything, but learn as much as I needed to about a certain topic or an area or a career or a study. And by just always being open to that, I think I could quickly discern through my own like intuition. I, I'm interested in this right now or I'm not, you know, like, like, and, and that was, that was really my North star, my compass for making mm. decisions. Like does my intuition in this moment, like Mank mentioned the word at the moment feel right? Because I know that like a river, I'm going to, you know, change my shape and my identity and my interests in 10 years. Our risk aversion changes in 10 mm. years. Our preference and our values change in 10 years. So um, I, I really believe in, in living in the present. Um, I didn't know mindfulness and, and meditation at the time, but I, I think intuitively I was like, I want to make the best decision for me right now because I know that in the future, I won't be feeling this same feeling right now. And I'll be maybe regretting for not having made that intuitive decision, you know, getting the visa for London or starting a podcast called Bottled Up. Like you, like you just, you, you make it at the time with the best information that you have and who you are. Mm. So commerce in a long-winded way is, was really the next best step because I didn't want to do science. As I said, I kind of neglected performing arts. Um, I, I didn't think, you know, um, uh, engineering or whatnot was going to be my forte, even though that was like my late father's, um, you know, area like mm. mechanical engineering and so um from yes em embodying and embracing the the work hard play hard culture similar to you sunny i think i might have done the opposite or um or, or, or mank as well where um in terms of that mask or that flip mm. with a new cohort i feel like i'd all of a sudden added a mask yeah. that was never really authentic to me and i was working my way through this degree feeling like i had to keep a certain appearance or an image when intuitively i felt like something was off i was like Everyone around me seems to be like overworked, unhappy, unsure, but no one's addressing the pink elephant. Yeah. Like no one's talking about it. And maybe that was the first time I started becoming a little bit more conscious of mental health was probably during those years. There were so many conversations I was having with friends that the weight of the decision or the weight of a score on a test or getting an internship or not, or deciding what company or what firm or what major they wanted to go into felt like this all consuming, ever crushing feeling. And I was like, how, like, if we're feeling like this before we've even started our careers, I don't think it's going to get better once we mm. begin them. Like if, if everyone's feeling this way and, I, and again, that, that kind of curiosity research and networker in me, like I was involved in a few student societies. Um, I love talking and mingling with people, but I just kept realizing there was just kind of this, this undercurrent that was working through. And I don't want to say this was just like the only degree that I did. I also don't want to speak poorly of the degree or of the university that I went to. I'm actually very grateful all the friends and all the opportunities I have were planted during that period. But there was just a conversation that wasn't being had amongst most of my peers. And it was this deeply dissatisfying apprehension or discontent 
with some of the life decisions they'd made. And I, I just felt overwhelmed that people didn't feel like they had the capacity or the control or the autonomy to choose a different path for themselves because you know their parents and their friends and their peers and everyone around them had expected them to continue following that path. And we might call it the sunk cost bias mm -hmm. where by the end of the second, third year, fourth degree, you know, fourth year of the degree, or you, know, you can translate this to the first career or the first job you've taken since following university, people, I, th I think unfortunately we, we pigeonhole ourselves, we create this prison in our mind that we have to commit to a decision that a younger and more naive version of ourselves made instead of forgiving that person and saying they made the best decision they could but knowing what I know now I'm now liberated and empowered to make a different and better decision and change my journey or change my destiny so from commerce I, I really started having all of these thoughts really kick in when I chose to go to Europe the reason I chose mm. to go to Europe is because I was following the shameless trend <laughs> like every single friend of ours that was jumping on a backpackers yeah. doing you know Kentucky bust about you name it I was just like oh, I just need to do whatever <laughs> else is doing but what I found beautifully do what I found beautifully doing that is that was the first time I had um, I was by myself I was alone but I wasn't lonely and I really wanted to discern that that feeling and share that with everyone who's listening to this is there's a really big difference between um, I believe like being alone and being intentional because I think the opposite of the word like lonely can be solitude it's intentional time by yourself where you actually allow yourself to reflect and sit with and work through whatever you've got. And after three and a half years of the noise, of the rush, of the hustle, of the work hard, play hard of the degree, it was the first time where I was, I was sitting in some random park in the middle of Spain or France, like had, you know, a couple of euros in my pocket. <laughs> like my phone was probably on 4% charge. I think I knew how to walk back to the hotel, but I felt liberated. I felt mentally and physically liberated. I didn't feel like I had to put, put a mask on. I could meet new people and just be who I was. And something that was really liberating about that experience started planting the seeds of being like, hang on a second, I get to make decisions. I do have agency um, and I don't mind being by myself. In fact, I actually think I, I learned about more of who I am when I'm with myself than when I'm with other people. But most of my life, having that very uncertain identity growing up, I felt like I had to find myself by always being in environments with a lot of people. So while I might seem on surface a big extrovert, I am a huge introvert mm. as well. I love my alone time. My best ideas, my best thoughts, um, my best self comes from those moments. And Europe was the first time it kind of it sparked that. I went over thinking it was just going to be this three-month bender of like drinking and partying mm. and doing whatever. Um, but I actually found these incredibly beautiful moments, similar to Manx kind of three hours of journaling at the cafe. I just had these like unlimited, untimed, unpressured flows of thoughts. I'd sometimes dabble things down. I started, you know, I, I did some video recording. I spent time sitting by myself and, and it was like, I've never done this in my 21, 22 years of life. This feeling is, is beautiful. Mm. So that was kind of what, what I thought Europe was going to be versus mm. what it actually became. I'm curious to know for both of you, what you both got out of traveling the world and if it matched what you thought it was going to be versus became something very different. Mm. No, I was going to say like, Dan, when you were sharing that, you actually gave me something to reflect on and something in my identity that I I think I'm working on at the moment. I actually, uh, actually brought it up as well. Like there's always, and I don't know if you've had this same situation where like, you know, you're so addicted to being busy that whenever you have free time in your calendar or free time in your day, you try and fill it with like seeing someone or talking to someone or doing something. And that actually is some insecurity. I'm still working through that at the moment where like, I need to be okay with sitting still and, and being okay with that. And it's it's a it's a tough one when you've always been, and especially like the degrees we've done, it's always taught us to do more. 
there's never been a sense of contentness with what you've got around you it's always do more be better which is a great like it's a great adage um to push yourself but i think sometimes as you were saying that undercurrent where we're not we're not sort of talking about something that's so prolific to everyone at this present time that weighs on you over time and and to your question around what we learned from uh, traveling overseas i think the biggest thing for me has always been whenever i've had the chance to go overseas it's always been you know in in part because i'm excited for what's on the other end but also in part of like okay there's going to be a better opportunity out there um there's going to be you know these all these wonderful people very different to the ones in melbourne all these wonderful opportunities that you don't get in melbourne and i think that one of the things i've realized is everyone is working through the same shit <laughs> everyone is the same whether you're in melbourne whether you're in Amen. india whether you're in uk yeah everyone's working through the same thing and we're all we're all there's almost this spiritual language that connects us all and um, mm. we all suffer from mental health we all have you know yeah. issues with our family we've all got yeah. you know insecurities with our work life and i think that's one of the things that mank and i took away when we started bottled up it was the fact that all of us suffer with mental health. It doesn't matter if you've got the Atlantic Ocean between you and I uh, on the other side of the world. You and I both experience similar things. Let's talk about it. And I think that's yeah. one of the biggest lessons I've taken away from it is how similar we all are and how beautiful mm. we are as human beings. And I think to your point around social media, it's it's almost created, you know, you can use social media as a wonderful tool because we all are inherently beautiful as human beings. And I think there is that Absolutely. that intention for us as human beings to be connected, um, to be, you know, um, yeah, I guess in, in line with who we are. Um, and I think sometimes we lose that fabric um, when we get carried away with, you know, all this wonderful stuff on the other end. So that's my two cents. <laughs> um, beautiful. beautiful. Mang, might pass over to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, mate. Um, so, yeah, Dan, you mentioned Europe there. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of experiences in our life. Um, and we're talking about discomfort. We're talking about, um, you know, this, this theme of, um, you know, facing adversity and seeking discomfort. Sometimes life just happens to you, yeah. Um, and you know, yeah. uh, I guess you have to go about and, and deal with and deal with those situations. And um, you know, our experiences. I mean, we're, I guess like our current state is pretty much a a, a reflection of our current um, experiences and what we've experienced in the past. And um, you know, I I think you know what I'm alluding to here. But, you know, I, I've always, and I, I don't know, I feel like I'd really want to be super just sensitive. I know it's a very sensitive part of your life and um, I want to try and frame this question correctly. And I always get nervous about asking these types of things because, um, you know, it's, it's it, 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 you know, this moment in your life that I'm, that I'm referring to, um, uh, with that being the passing of your father, it's um it's it's often difficult difficult to ask questions about it, let alone let alone like you know speaking about it. So, um, mate, like I you know Sonny's obviously briefed me um a little bit about what happened um during a time in Europe, but because obviously you know, a lot of people there, there are some other people out there in our listenership who may have lost their own father. We've spoken to other people who have lost their dad as well, and it's it's super super you know tra- absolutely just a tragic thing to to go through. But would love to if you're open to it, you know, to, to, to hear what your life was like at that time and when, when you received the news and, and, and what your, I guess, like your kind of recovery process was like um, after that as well. But feel, please feel free to, um, uh, you know, we're in your boat here, mate. You're the captain. Yeah, and and appreciate as well just how, um, how conscious and 
I think delicate you you consider this question as well, Mank, because it is a really hard one. And uh, like the thing I, I have often reflected on is I at the time didn't even know how to talk about it with friends. I still feel like I don't. At no point growing up um, is there ever a crash course in loss and grief and shock. Um, you just get thrown into it all of a sudden um, and learn how to swim really, really quickly. Um, but you, don't, you know, you don't even have time to think about it. So um, for, for the listeners there, and, and um, give reference, I had a, a separate trip to Europe. So this wasn't the one when I'd finished university, but mm. uh, a separate trip a few years later on, um, I'd been working a number of years at one of my first, um, my first kind of tech roles out of university. And I had taken this, um, this opportunity with a company to be a content creator for what was going to be a three month trip. And four weeks into the trip, we were working our way through Albania, which, as you mentioned, um, to give you an idea, I'd bought an international SIM card that had covered every country except for like Albania. So the entire tour was covered. Uh, and for the two, three-day window, we had an itinerary to be there. I had no 5G coverage. And it hadn't been until I stopped over um, at a bus station that had, you know, your typical European free Wi-Fi login, chuck in your password, that my phone had just blown up with a series of missed calls but there were no messages. And for anyone who's been through this experience, um, I, I, like, you know, you, you say follow your gut instinct because often it can just feel or sense something that's going on. And even for some reason, for the last kind of few hours before that, I just, I just been feeling off for the entire trip that was otherwise a really euphoric, incredible experience. So when your phone lights up and you have like a number of missed WhatsApp calls and um, messenger calls, because that's the only way people could reach you, but no one was communicating just through a straight text, um, I think like the equivalent of like my, my world had just kind of got this black and white view, like everything had just decolored. Um, you knew something wasn't good. And that was, that was all like, like before the news of exactly what had happened, that's probably the best way I could describe it. It was just this like sudden free fall where nothing else mattered. Um, you felt very isolated. Um, and you were just looking to connect and to try, try find an answer. Just like even just breathing, taking the next step suddenly became a labor. At least that's what my experience had been like. And then when I finally got on, um, I'd found out that because I'd been so disconnected from, from like 4G or 3G or whatever the reception was at the time, uh, my late father had actually passed away from a heart attack 12 hours prior to me actually getting the news and being on the phone um, to my mother and older sister. And I, I, I don't know, I think just the, like the disconnect in terms of not just physical distance, but also like the space and the time of how everything had played out, as I said, had just made me fall into this like free fall experience of, I don't really know what my, what way is up anymore. Like, I don't really know how to, how to place it. And it, once I remember hearing the words and, um, you know, just having this kind of wall of shock trying to kind of run over me and, and um, the, uh, the partner that I was with at the time, who was also, you know, capturing content with me, he just saw it from a mile away. And after I got off the call, like he didn't know what it was, but um, he just hugged me and, um, I just kind of poured myself out in his embrace and in his comfort. Um, and even though he'd never met my father, he could sense indirectly from who I was and how I spoke of him and um, how dad was, you know, my biggest supporter, actually probably the biggest supporter for me taking this content opportunity over um, continuing to work in this like, you know, quite prolific um, tech role that I had before. Um, he just, he knew that it was probably my, my rock bottom moment. And we'd only met for three or four weeks, but the way that he just like stepped up for me, I am so, so grateful for that he 
you know, he wasn't trying to solve. He wasn't trying to say he was just there for me. And so something I want to share with the listeners who are there, that if there's someone in your life that has ever had a tragic unforeseen loss of someone, and don't get me wrong, like all losses and all passings of people all impact us in different ways. You know, it doesn't matter if it was it was seen or if it was coming or if it was sudden, but everyone responds to it in a different way. And we have no idea how we're going to respond. There's what we think we'll do. There's what we think we'll say. And there's versus how we just are. And so whatever your friend or, or whatever loved one of yours might be going through, if that happens to them, just being there and just holding space and just having even silence with them. Sometimes you don't feel like you need to fill the air with words and platitudes and solutions and what's the next step. Just being there and letting them be is one of the most beautiful things. And in that moment, in probably my darkest hour of my life, while I was on the complete other side of the world, complete different time zone, 12 hours disconnected from the news, completely offline and social media, so missed everything that was coming through, um, being able to have someone there with you just to ground you in the moment and just to remind you that like you are, you are present, you are okay, you are here, I'm with you, um, I think can be one of the most beautiful things you can. And I just really wanna pass that forward because I know I've had friends, uh, one of my close friends, had his mother pass away as well. Uh, and, and it was from a, a very terminal stage of cancer. But in the same way, I had remember awkwardly fumbling through supporting him as a friend and not knowing what to say or not knowing what to do. The reality is like just being there and the existing relationship that you have with that person, that is more than enough. And so I really just want to impart that with, with everyone because yeah, for me, that really helped me kind of, I guess kind of, I can't say find myself. I knew that life was never going to be the same from that point onwards, but to have had him there in the absence of childhood friends and family that were on the other <laughs> side of the world, um, that genuinely meant the world. His name's also um, Daniel. He, he is still one of my closest friends to this day. Um, and as, as, as tragic and as tough as adversity is, I think it often molds and shapes and, and creates new relationships and, and new journeys going forward that wouldn't have otherwise. And so um, I know, you know, um, Dad would be very, very happy that I had um, the likes of Daniel kind of in my life then and now um, to look out for me and to help me, yeah, um, you know, depart, uh, cut the trip short early, um, get myself home, get back to the family a few days later, uh, and then obviously move wow. forward with my family with man, the grieving process. Thank you process so much for and, sharing and all that. Like you, you, I don't know about you, Mank, you like really put me in your spot there in, in a really like, yeah, I just felt so connected to a lot of the things you were saying. Um, because it, it does make us realize how fragile life can be and how uncertain things are as well. Um, you mentioned just a moment ago, like you knew in that moment that life was never going to be the same uh, going forward for you. And, um, you know, coming back to Australia, you mentioned you had a younger sister as well and, and mum as well. What was that process like, um, you know, in processing it as, yeah. as a family, but also as yourself individually and, and, and going through that grieving process? Um, yeah. Mm. There's, uh, yeah, there, there was probably, mm. um, two aspects of, of the grieving process that I can now look back at, um, and kind of recognize there's the, um, there's the process of having to go through all mm. of the, the, I hate to dismiss it as admin or logistics. I don't know what the right word would be for the moment, but there's just the process side of, of doing things and ticking boxes and filling out forms and, and, and having certain things done um, that, you know, yeah. because of the shock that you're going through, like I, I can't put a memory to any of it really. It's just, you just, you know, reaching out to lawyers and accountants and, 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 and whatnot. And then there's the other side, which is 
really your own grieving. And I think, I think the way that I've tried to explain it to, to people is it's like a reality that we all know we're going to pass away at some point. And we know that life is fragile, mm. but we sometimes have this notion of whether it's called invincibility yeah. or like we sometimes overestimate and think, oh, that's never going to happen to me. That's never going to happen to someone in my life. And I think fortunately, because of some of the work, you know, or some of the reflections um, I've been doing on myself with my life, with understanding, you know, um, having my, my, my close friend's mother pass away just the year prior to that, um, realizing that like it is going to happen to everyone. I feel like I'm really grateful that I had a number of, of at least maybe like habits and um, you know practices in place so that when my grieving kicked in with dad, I had a healthy and a constructive way of working through it. Like, like you mentioned earlier, whether it's about having like, you know, a, 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 I don't call it a positive distraction, but a positive outlet to channel what you all have. I think I'm immensely grateful that, you know, whether it was a combination of, of yoga, running, journaling, meditation, regularly talking to friends prior to that moment of, of having lost dads, being able to just kind of flick into like autopilot, having all of these cornerstone habits that are automatically sustaining themselves is what helped me continue moving forward. I think a struggle that a lot of people have is yeah. that um, they don't have those kind of pillars in place and and the passing of someone sudden just exposes and amplifies your status quo, the moment that you're in, who you are, how you are. You know, if, if there's things you haven't resolved, then I feel like, you know, that will amplify it. Or if you've got really good things and really good people and really good relationships in your life, that's reinforced during moments like that. And so for grieving for me, it was this kind of surreal experience where I felt like I had like, I was, I was stepping out of the, my own jar and I was just kind of like watching how everyone around me had interacted and confirming a lot of things I thought about myself, my, my late father's life, how people viewed him, how people viewed our family, um, who was a close friend, who wasn't a close friend. So, you know, even though there were some pretty challenging and confronting things that surface, um, there's, there's also like a bit of a liberating um, feeling because death is like the ultimate equalizer. Mm. It, it's something no one can escape. Um, no one leaves this planet, you know, without it. Um, it, it's, it. It's there for all of us. And I think something about that really just at times blunt, um, but really beautiful reflection in terms of like, if this is our life, like if this is as fragile as it is, then there is an incalculable impossibility of being born a human as you are to even be listening to this podcast or mm. to be sharing the spaces I am with you guys. I cannot take this for granted. Like, like this is in, like mind-bogglingly incredible. And the clarity that I came out of that from my grieving is what's driven a lot of the changes uh, and decisions I've now made in my life from that point onwards that I know beforehand mm. I'd, 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 I'd err, I'd sit on, I'd procrastinate, I'd postpone, I'd tell myself it was another day, I'd tell myself I wasn't ready. Um, and for a man who was 61, relatively healthy, you know, working pretty hard for his family, um, to have suddenly started taken from him when in my mind I'm envisioning he's playing with my grandkids, he's seeing me walk my partner down the aisle one day and that's all of a sudden snatched away was very humbling and making me realise like as much mm -hmm. as I want to say that I can plan my future and know what's going to happen in 12 months, I just don't. And that surrender and that acceptance of my mortality um, and of my fragility in terms of my, yeah, my life was a bit of a slap in the face, I'm not going to lie, but it was one that I think really rat, like shook me in a good way to say, 
today is it. Tomorrow is always going to be a tomorrow in your mind. So whatever you need to do, whatever you need to say to that person, whatever argument you need to patch up, um, you know, whatever decision you need to make, like, like don't defer it um, because you'll always, you know, you'll always be sitting back saying, I could have, I should have, I would have, and I don't mm-hmm. know when my last day is. So that was the, the other aspect of it from my grieving, really. It was, it was a big, deep dive into who am I and who was dad and who was my mm-hmm. relationship with him but it really put into focus what was important and what wasn't, who was in my life and who wasn't in my life uh, and what I wanted to do with the rest of it, knowing I could have 10 more days on this planet, I could have 10 more years, um, I could have 80 more years, it doesn't really matter. It's about really being present um, and dialed in and that was the first time in a long time um, I think I'd been that. Yeah. Death is, um, and I, I don't know, like for me, I... I'm really questioning my mortality <laughs> a lot more. Like as as we get older and as as it sort of gets closer, like you know, Dan, as you mentioned, like you know, it's invincible. Like we almost have that feeling that um, it's almost that question that goes through, which is like, if you knew that you were gonna die at eighty, would you know that you wanted to die at like? Would you want to know that you would die at eighty, or would you not want to know that, even though you you will die at 80 and so it's a question of like Mm. what do you optimize for what do you look for in life you know do you want to know that or do you just want to you know live carefree because that could also be baggage as well knowing that as that time gets closer and so i know for me it's like my relationship with legacy has changed a lot um over the last couple of years um i would say that i used to care about okay what's my legacy what am i leaving behind um as i pass but i think as you extend the time horizon legacy diminishes like everyone gets forgotten at some point and and what you need to optimize for at least for me um is what are the lives that i can impact today and who can i make happier today um because that's the legacy that you're able to create uh, for people around you and um i can see in the way that you speak and you share this story that your dad was an instrumental person in your life if not one of the biggest cheerleaders for you in in a lot of the bigger decisions that you did uh, and, and you took on um what and 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 the reason i asked this question is for me i've grown up with my mum and and my younger brother and when my grandmother passed away and i visited her maybe 4 years in india before she actually passed away she was she always left this one message with me which was like always look after your mum um you know just look after your mum everything else will um take care of itself and i've really taken that on board um you know as I, as i grow older and so that's kind of the legacy that she's left me with um, yeah. and almost that responsibility as well um, and that care that you know she had for her daughter which is my mum i'm curious to know like what's the legacy and, and the lesson that your dad has left mm. behind for you um in how you're approaching you know the next 10 20 30 40 50 60 years um of your life going forward mm. that's um that's such a beautiful by the way um legacy that yeah you've you've heard from your your late grandmother um i think it's it's interesting that as we grow up we we have these really Mm. oscillating relationships with our family (laughs) you know you you grow up and you love them and they're everything and then you become a angsty teenager early 20 and you're too cool Mm. for them and then you kind of get it all together and you're like they are the most incredible humans in the world like everything in my existence right now i owe to them Um, (laughs) the chance that they met and they you know put every diaper on me and, and, and tended to every issue that I had when I was a kid growing up and I was ungrateful and they still showed me unconditional love. There's nothing like that. And, and that's really powerful. So I also just wanted to comment on that. And I think that's such a beautiful 
um, compass that you hold close to your heart. I, I, I trust all the <laughs> listeners probably would be of the same view as well with, with their family, despite all of our um, disagreements and, and challenges that we may have, we may have with them. But it's what makes us who we are. In in respect to um, my my late father, I think his legacy, and um, I'm very fortunate uh, that. When I was leaving my, my first, um, my role that I've been working at for about four and a half years, one of my colleagues um, actually um, organized this wonderful farewell video. And he went around to a number of different people in the organization and got them to record like a farewell message. And he'd also, you know, figured through my social media, like who was some of my close friends and reached out to them and got them to contribute. And then even reached out to one of my sisters and got them to coordinate a farewell, a series of farewell messages from my family. And it was probably the last recorded video I'd actually had of my dad. And I'm so, I'm infinitely grateful to my friend um, for doing this. And this is why I love video content so much because it can capture, you know, energy and the essence of someone that sometimes photographs can't. And in the video, dad said something along the lines of, um, we're so proud of you, um, you know, go forth, um, you're a maverick and we're so proud of you. <laughs> and that word maverick, he, I'd never, I'd never <laughs> yeah. said that in his entire life. I, I was like, what? This is some Top Gun, mm. Top Gun, you know, Tom Cruise. Like, what? What is, what is maverick? I've never heard that phrase to you before. I didn't, don't think I quite understood it. Uh, but again, it was just one of those moments or words that just caught with me for some reason. I was like, what, what does he mean by maverick? And I think I, in, in reflection and in, in all the grief and everything that, that's ensued since we've lost dad, I think I realized the reason he was at least the most proud of me and loved when I made decisions that were maybe somewhat unconventional, that were authentic to me, even if they weren't understood or conforming to what everyone else did, is because that's what a maverick can do. They pioneer, they go forth into uncharted territory. Like my dad's life, everything he'd done was effectively being a pioneer, was breaking a mold, you know? He'd, he'd left his um, East kind of Ugandan um, tribal upbringing in the region he'd grown up with with his family, the Ardola people, and he'd taken an education. So he was fortunate enough to have received one of few scholarships um, to have gone to an overseas university, which was to the USSR at the time. So now you've got to imagine this East African male among, amongst a few of other very, very bright ones jumping on a plane, landing in the freezing Soviet Union um, and having to learn how to speak Russian very, very quickly to do a mechanical engineering degree. And that's eventually how he met my mother. Um, they eventually, you know, and again, a biracial couple during a very conservative, low-key, high-key racist society at the time that wasn't accepting, right, to then choose to, um, you know, leave the country, go to Kenya, have kids together. Then, you know, everything... When I, when I kind of looked back at it, and it was really funny because... When we were putting together the eulogy as well, Sonny, all of his high school friends kindly put together this Word document chronology hmm. of all of these achievements and things that our dad had done that he'd never shared with us. <laughs> and again, I remember just reading through like captain of the soccer team, like head of the photography, like the photography club in Uganda. Like we're talking the 1970s, like it would have been film camera. He'd never spoken that he would had a passion for photo and video. But he like, and, and now I started to clue together. I was like, that's why he loves it when I do it. He never tells me, but he's so proud and his encouragement is kind of nurturing potentially the life or the part of him that he could then see in me that I was kind of forwarding. And as your classic kind of like old school dad, for, yeah. again, some of the listeners who might resonate, maybe you guys, like dads often show their love. They don't say their love. So they show their love by being the breadwinner, by taking you to all of your sports, by being there for the awards nights. They might not say, hey, son or daughter, I'm so proud of you. You know, I love seeing the effort you put into that. But I just acknowledge that's the way that, that he knew how to show love. And so 
my legacy, I think, going forwards is just being able to perpetuate and inspire others to be a maverick of their own life, you know, to, to feel like, take the decision, pull the trigger, take the chance and back yourself wholeheartedly because you need to believe in yourself before others do. Like you need to give yourself permission to do something before others can. It's great if others come afterwards and say, yeah, what you're doing is great. You know, it's so successful, amazing or whatever, but you need to be a self enabler. And don't get me wrong, that got my dad into some hot water at other times. It's a different conversation about some of the stuff ups and the sticky situations like our family's been in and my mum would be rolling her, rolling her eyes and face palming if she heard about some of it and we've all been there, you know, but, but, but on the overall, it always came from a place of, I think, of love and, and just authentic self-expression, just being a maverick. So for everyone here, like embodying being the maverick of your own story, think about how will your kids and grandkids share your story going forwards. You know, like you're writing a book right now. Every day, every conversation you have is adding to the beautiful tapestry and the narrative of your life, right? How could that be shared and conveyed by someone? How could you look at the age of 80 and go, <laughs> what, an what an incredible life. Like I had no idea what I was doing when I went to London um, for a year, aka Mank. I had no idea what I was doing when I took that degree or took that job or said yes to that opportunity. But look at what has come um, from it afterwards. So I think that's, that's hopefully my dad's enduring legacy and something hopefully I can pass on to, to those listening to this. Title of the podcast, Being a Maverick with Dan O'Doy. <laughs> we have got it we, got we it. have got it is that how you guys do it you, you, you pull a soundbite from the clip hey? yeah that's, that's, that, 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 you, you've done the work for that. you've pioneered, you've pioneered yeah. a new way mate you've pioneered a new way <laughs> that is that is that is awesome um wow that is uh yeah that, uh, that was really well, well said um I'm, I'm a Mank, bit, i feel like there's a there's a lesson there, there there's man. A, there's a, this is no, speaking that, to you yeah no and it, me is, as it well. is definitely that, that definitely <laughs> is speaking to me i think it's very serendipitous that uh, that message so i think uh, that definitely resonates with me and um you know, I guess the next couple of months. Mank, Mavericks, Mank, Mavericks. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's not going to be Roger Federer. It's going to be Maverick. <laughs> Mank, Mavericks. Mank, Mavericks, Sahani. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and sort of like taking you just sort of look taking a look at where you are kind of today, Dan. You know, in your life today, and, you, and you've gone through so much, and and, and you've learned so much from, from from your own experiences. In terms of like, and in, in sort of reflecting on the perspective that you've had on, I guess like the the brevity of life. Like, what are what are some of the non negotiables in your life at the moment? And and, and I guess like, how do you like prioritize like your i guess like your like obviously you've got a lot of stuff in your life at the moment and and then how do you sort of go, go about prioritizing them yeah yeah something and for, thank you for for, for for jumping on board fellas mm -hmm. um and i think what warms my heart is that i've seen you implement and execute on uh so many things that were shared during that workshop so uh it warms my heart for all those stay tuned for the videos specifically bottled up <laughs> yeah you guys are living up their game in 2022 beyond uh Sonny, you, you tapped on it earlier, I think when we had a, a really interesting opening conversation about uh, mm. what would be your parallel version of yourself. And I think something that we all intuitively dug into was our values. Mm. I think I could read that between all of us. And so for me, mm. I'm really fortunate that um, when I actually made a decision last year to have invested in uh, a business coach, stroke mentor, stroke, you know, just, just guide for what I wanted to do with my own business, it wasn't tactics, it wasn't strategies, it wasn't hacks, it wasn't you need to be doing this, this, this. He started with values. And I've now appreciated why that is the best place to go. As you'd say, Sonny, it's like asking the whys. Like mm. if you do not have that foundation down pat and you're just following the what's and the how's, there is gonna be, there's gonna be a point when you hit your dip or you hit the wall and you're gonna question how you got into that situation. And you might realize you didn't have a foundation or something that was authentically aligned with yourself. So values for me have been a really powerful exercise and a lot of, you know, what 
was confronting when I think we'd lost dad and I was reflecting on that was I had gone, I don't think I know what my values are. Like I've been living a life mm. that has been, you know, loosely kind of anchored and dictated and influenced and swayed by a lot of the people around me. And I was like, there's, there's, there's very little decision-making or actions in this world that are being driven from my intrinsic motivation or my intrinsic self. And so for me, I, I have five values that um, there are no particular order, um, but there's something that always involves in a decision that I make. So for me, it's love or being loving to those around me, like being a memory-making son, friend, um, brother to all those around me, a member of my community, a member of my you know, country, whatever it is. Um, it's creativity and creative expression. That's really important for me. Um, it's influence and impact, right? Leaving every room, every conversation, every person better than when I left them. And better doesn't have to mean happier. It could just mean with another angle, with another you know, understanding. Uh, learning and growth, that's my fourth value. It's really important for me that I'm constantly a student. You know, I don't think education stops at the end of university. Unfortunately, it did for me for a couple of years, and that's when I probably went backwards in my own development, but now it's a non-negotiable. <laughs> that, ha- that has to be involved in every day, every week in some capacity. Um, and last but not least, and I'd argue I think probably the most important is my well-being, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, or I can have all the success in the world, whatever that might look like, not just monetarily, but in other aspects. But if I did that at the expense of myself, my sanity, my mental well-being, um, you know, my relationships with people around me, it's just never worth it. You know, and, and the funny thing is like no amount of money or success can make up for the work um, that needs to be done to get well-being. Everything in well-being, you can't pay for. You can't pay your way to a better body. You can't pay your way to better mental health or better relationships. Money can never substitute that. That takes real work. And that's why for me, the lens of what a successful looks, life looks like is you are across and you are constantly improving. They don't have to always be perfect, but you are constantly looking to make those improvements in each of those areas, and you have a plan for that aspect of your life. So for me, across all those five areas, that's the lens that I apply to all of my key decisions in life. You know, how does it affect this aspect? Does it fulfill this need for creative expression? Does, is, is, is there a way that I can incorporate my friends and my family and my relationships and my loved ones in what I'm about to do, you know, is this selfish um, or is this selfless? And so that mm. is kind of a high level view of really how I run every decision through. And don't get me wrong, every decision won't tick every box perfectly, but it's just that self-awareness to go, where is this coming from? Is this coming from someone outside of me because a friend recommended it, just because the world's doing it and the media's talking about it? Or is this, or is this an ex- like an intrinsic reflection of who I am and how I best serve the world? Um, I'd be curious to know, you know, to, to, to you guys as well, like whether you'd be happy to share your values or how do you feel you carve out non-negotiables in your life? And has that changed a lot since, you know, growing up, leaving high school, leaving university? Um, is it still a work in progress? Like how do you, yeah, filter it out? I'll start with you, Mank. Oh, okay. Um, ooh, some, I, think, I think some of the non-negotiables in my life is when I am with someone, I think just constantly just being present. I think that's definitely something that I, that I, for me, when I'm when I'm having a conversation with someone, I need to be they need to have my hundred percent attention. I think that's like definitely been something that's been like, and it, I think it I, it was never always like that. I don't think it was ever like you know when I when I was like you know when I was in high school, I wanted to be like that. I think there was a point where I realized that you know I was with my friends and I was just constantly on my phone the entire time. It was just like I don't know, yeah, I don't, it, it, there wasn't a value that I. Um, that yeah that, that, that i actually valued i guess but i think from uh, i think after bottled up and and after the i guess like after the conversations that we've had um this concept of time and this concept of uh, i think that we, we like we, we don't you don't actually value 
um, I think when I was younger, I didn't actually value someone's time as much as I do now because I think right now, I think it's the philosophy behind bottled up is if someone donates their time to us, we'll be able to, you know, if someone else donating their time means that, you know, we can get their message out and we can and hopefully spread their message to a lot of other people who, who also donate their time um, to listen to that, yeah. to listen to that. So I think this yeah. the whole concept of time and whole concept of being present is something that, that I, um, is, is something that I'm trying to become. That, that it's something for me that I, I want to, I want that part of, or that value to be non-negotiable, non-negotiable in my life. Um, so yeah, I think like it's being present and um, and and yeah, giving someone my undivided attention one when, when, when they're speaking and when I'm having a conversation. Um, I think that's that's something for me that that's that is non-negotiable. And I think on top of that as well, um, just building on that, I think just like just friends. I think like putting them as number one. I mean, like I've I have been blessed with you know having a really tight core set of is a good like set of mates um and i will always put them um like, yeah at, at the top of my priority list because i know that they that they will always be there for me when i'm when i'm down they have been there for me when i'm down um and they're also there with there for me in the good times as well so um i know who those people are those people know who they are um i will always put them up the top of my priority list because i know you know they've they've done so much for me, and-, and just to touch on that as well, Mac. I just I was I was just beaming inside when you said um, how much you value time, because mm-hmm. in in you know relation to talking about the brevity of life, have we, as we had before, time is a non renewable resource. Like the way I look at it, sometimes is I go like, if I spend time with you, I'm basically spending a portion, or we are spending a portion of our life with each other. Exactly, we are making a decision to say in the entire scheme of all the units of time that we had mm-hmm. living together on this planet, like. To, to give someone your time is the ultimate gift and to exactly. give it present time like you do as well not exactly. distracted time but present that is the ultimate there is no amount of money because you like like m- money cannot buy time exactly. you cannot manufacture more of it so yeah. that I just wanted to share that really yeah. resonated um, because that is an absolute yeah top yeah. Like, like like top direction to have with people around you. And I know not everyone might feel the same way. And I hate that for some, it may take some pretty confronting situations in life or tragedies or, or mm. you know, accessing the right information or the right people to know that. But once you do, mm. game changer. It's yeah. just light and day, absolute light and day. No amount of money can buy a second of time. I think that Iron, yeah. Man, Iron Man says mm. that. So that, that, that's something that, yeah. uh, that, that resonates with me, definitely. <laughs> Good old Tony Stark. Tony getting it, the wisdom. Yeah, this is a very, uh, sorry, sorry, I, don't want, I want to let you answer this question as well. But there's something so humbling about that as well. You have to have that kind of humble mindset and be grateful that someone is actually, there's actually someone on this planet that actually wants to spend time with me. That gift of, of someone donating their time can trumps any kind of 100%. gift that anyone else can, 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 ever, can ever give you. So yeah. Yeah, that for me is is, is a non-negotiable. Love it, hmm. Sunny. Over yeah, to you. Do, donation, yeah, donation and time. I think that's become, Meg, for you and I, that's become a huge topic over yeah. the last like two years. Like people mm-hmm. donating their time to the podcast and even sharing their story. Um, and Dan, I think you you said it so beautifully. Like we are sharing a portion of our life together. Like I've never seen it from that perspective. And I, I actually, I might, I'm gonna take that forward. I think because I think that's a, yeah, it's very, um, it's a truth. It's a truth. And. Um, quickly on my values uh, I've done a bit of work on this um, one is connection I've always valued authentic and vulnerable conversations going back to what you said I um, I think the undercurrent of what was in commerce or what was in you know the past things that we've done before like I don't know there's always this sort of um, sense of yeah I don't know a sense of uh, discomfort that exists when, when you do feel that I think we can all feel that so I think I've always valued authentic and um, yeah, authenticity through connection. 
um, community, a sense of belonging. Um, I try and do that through Bottled Up and through the people I meet. And um, I get so much joy out of connecting people that I I know like these two pockets of my world and being able to connect them together, whether it's like a messenger group chat or through WhatsApp or whatever it might be. Um, two close friends that I've met through two distinctively separate um you know, situations or social settings, university, high school. And I can tell that these two people would get along incredibly well. They just haven't met because of whatever life circumstances there have been maybe different. They've grown up in a different suburb. They've got parents that are not connected to this industry or, you know, maybe they haven't taken this decision. Being able to connect that to, I get so much joy out of that. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Um, and then being able to hear the story of, of them being able to yeah. connect together and uh, share their friendship, like just being part of that is wonderful. Um, I think celebration is becoming a big thing. Um, too often, I think growing up, I've always been focused on working hard, working hard, working hard, but not working smart. That's a different conversation. Um, <laughs> but I think being able to take a step, being able to take a step back and um, just celebrate the wins in life, um, celebrate other people's wins, celebrate my own wins. Um, I'm really trying to develop that part of myself. Um, and then I think the last last tour is family and well-being. Yeah. Um, similar to you, Dan, like. I think well-being is one of the things that I've let slip over the last two years. I'm definitely trying to make much more of a conscious effort in terms of looking after that. Um, you know, we don't have infinite attention. Yeah. You, we've only got finite attention. How do we make sure we look after that in the best and most productive way possible for ourselves? Um, and then family. I think for me, um, you know, a lot of people ask me why I haven't moved out of house or out of home and, and sort of done other things. And it's because I, I live in a very tight-knit family. I want to be there for my brother. I want to be there for my mum. Um, for me, that's my priority. I want to make sure I'm around them, supporting them in, in the best way I can possible. Um, and you know, when the decision comes to go overseas or move out of uh, move out of home, I know that's coming out of a place where, okay, this is the next stage in growth for me. My priorities in life have changed a little bit. Um, yeah, I'll make that call then. But for me, right now, um, as I'm in my mid twenties, I am loving it, <laughs> living mm. at home and, and being around them. And I think, um, yeah, I'm keen. I'm keen for all the journeys. That, that come from that so yeah those are my values incredible <laughs> um, a couple of gents living life intentionally nothing nothing warms my heart more than that just people mm. living intentionally you know and, it, and it's not even about being like why is your value different to mine or whatnot it's like like yes to you like good on you for being clear about who you are and where you stand and be able to make a clear trade-off and protecting that you know and I, I touch on this a lot because I've had issues with boundaries for most of my life and being yes and being a people pleaser. So being able to come to that place and just be like, my value is my family. You don't need to understand it, but that's why I'm making a decision to live and to look after them and to do that. And it's going to change just like yours have. Like, like I nearly think some people secretly, that's what like that people genuinely wish they had sometimes the conviction to be able to, to do that of their own lives. I know I used to when I was you know living by external, not by internal. So mm. yeah, as I said, it just nothing lights me up more, gents, just to be sitting on this mm. call and just to be amongst a few and, and much like to the listeners as well to, to, to be able to make decisions consistently that are protecting and that are, that are really filling your cup up. That, that to me is like, that's well-being in a nutshell, you mm. know, like that's because mm. it's different for everyone. And so, mm. yeah, I appreciate you both of you sharing me, me. I know I've thrown a few questions back your way, but these are all <laughs> such great questions. And I just, mm. I, I know how many amazing conversations and how much time you guys spend thinking about this and working on this. And, and it just, it reinforces and, and, and selfishly, selfishly, 
Selfishly? Yes, yeah, selfishly. There we go. We've got a, <laughs> yeah, got a few words. It's been a long conversation. Selfishly yeah. um, helps me, yeah, kind of reinvigorate and, and, and share this same conversation with other people out there to say, mm. this isn't the only version of what values need to look like. Here are mine, but here are two other, other beautiful perspectives um, on how it looks like. So that's just my, mm. yeah, just had to share that from my heart. Yeah, completely agreed. And I know we have to wrap up soon. Wrap up soon. I've also got <laughs> my words. That's a sign. That's the sign. Yeah. The, the, the syllable quota is getting hit. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I was going to say, I feel like um, a lot of people might be interested in this as well. Like, um, you know, you're someone that lives a pretty public life. Um, you know, you're on social media, the nature of your work in marketing as well. You kind of have to be out there and, and speaking. Um, how do you, and you mentioned this earlier in terms of boundaries, like how do you draw the line between your social presence and your real life? That's a really, it, this is an ongoing, an ongoing battle. So note that mm. at the time of recording, this is yeah. hopefully my best <laughs> answer to it. Because mm. um, I've read, I've read into a lot about this, about, yeah, yeah. understanding how to, yeah, create a, create a healthy line between this surreal, always on hyper reality that just doesn't reflect a real life. Um, and I'll be, I'll be completely upfront. Like I run a very, very curated um uh, not as in my not as in my profile and my content, but the way that I interact with the platforms, it's very very intentional. Like we've mentioned before, you know, like because I have such a uh, I have a role that's so heavily involved in social media for the clients that I work with, the projects, the client, the content that I share, um, the research that I need to do. I spend a lot of time on these platforms. I have to change my mindset from not being just a passive consumer of content, but I call it being like an active producer of content i use mm. these contents for the productive means that it can be if i can use my platform to hold space share inspire you know bring people as i said kind of when i spoke about my value of impact and influence leave people better for having invested some of their time with any content i've either produced for myself or my clients that's my filter and screen for saying i'm using it in a good way and i'm not getting lost in the rabbit hole of news feeds that i'll be honest i still get caught up in every now and then whether it's reels tiktok or youtube videos that just keep on running it does happen from time to time so i'm not perfect but more and more creating that distinction between who I am online and offline i used to think it actually had to be two different people but i'm becoming more and more comfortable making that the same person that's what i really believe mm. i i like the idea that when someone meets me online and then they meet me in real life they just got the entree they just got an idea of who i already was so we can pick up a mm. conversation straight away there's nothing mm. i like more than kind of the in real life catfish moment that we could all have i never want that with anyone <laughs> right yeah. which is why yeah. more and more of my content that's pivoted of late is you'll often see but i don't like flexing and bragging about my life or only showing the 5% of highlight moments because that's not a true reflection of my life. My life isn't highlights. It isn't curated. It isn't always smiling. Most of the videos that I share are usually talking about the times that I stuffed up, times that things didn't go well. Like I got COVID a week after I was launching my program. I remember looking mm. back at that week and being like, most people wouldn't say a thing. And I was like, I'm going to make three videos that just completely vulnerably show my experience, like how rock bottom I hit because that I'm trying to normalize that experience. I'm trying to let people know that like, I'm not always happy or lucky. I'm not always high energy. I'm not always killing it. And it doesn't surprise me that I'm not pursuing virality or engagement or anything from this stuff. I'm just doing it because that's an extension of my values. That's my creative expression. Yeah. But I'm not surprised that those are the videos that actually resonate the most, create the most depth 
and relationship with my audience and the DMs and the follow-ups and the messages that I get from people who are more moved by that than the funny, trendy, highlight, look at my life mm-hmm. videos. It's just, it's day yeah. and night. It's a complete difference. And that to me keeps mm-hmm. reinforcing and saying, yeah, this is what people are looking for. This is how I can use my story, my skills, my talents um, to make these platforms a, a better place. Um, if that answers yeah. answers the question. I know it's something you guys obviously are conscious of as well, living in this like, you know, hyper-reality of social media. Mm, um, but you guys so fortunately use your skills and the stories and the people in your world to bring, I would, I have no, no doubt about this in my mind, a net positive level of content and influence and inspiration and storytelling to these platforms. Just curious to know if that, yeah, kind of resonates with your approach towards social media and how you guys have a boundary. 100%. I think um, we, a very wise man, much, much more wise than I am, um, he he was telling us, I think Ben has uh, something for his mm. FYI, um, he mentioned uh, a key thing for him and, a key, and, he, and one of his key advice to us was that bottled up and, and uh, this initiative should be a, ref- it should just be an extension or a reflection of ourselves. And I think in that, in this whole like digitized world that we're living in at the moment and seeing all the content that's out there, I think a lot of people are becoming accustomed to what is authentic and what is not authentic um, and what is not genuine. And I think Sunny and I have been super, super conscious of that. And we're, and we're, like you mentioned, we really do appreciate that, that, uh, that, that compliment you gave us just there about around um, positive, around having a net positive. Um, well, we, we, we hope we are. And um um, we did have um, a rapid fire couple of questions. Let's if, do if, it. if it wasn't, if you, oh yeah, yeah sweet. Let, <laughs> let's let, do let, it. Let's yeah. get have you, have you got a couple of moments? I do. Then? Like I we do. Might... Yeah. If, okay. Okay. Cool. cool. Let's do, go. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. There we go. Let's do it. <laughs> do Can you hear that? Do you want to kick it up, bang? All right. Let's do it. All right. We spoke. We spoke about music. Who's your favorite R and B artist? Oh, this is going to be controversial. It's Chris Brown. Chris Brown. Chris Brown, nice, lovely. <laughs> uh, Go to song to cry to. Oh wow, <laughs> jeez, you guys have. Um, <laughs> We've thought of that. Yeah, you guys have thought <laughs> yeah, this yeah, out yeah. to cry to. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm just gonna go for the first one I can think of. Um, oh, jeez, you guys. I, I don't know. I actually, I'm overwhelmed. Next question. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, Mank, over to you. That's right. Uh, best piece of advice you've ever heard. You don't wake up into the world. You wake up into your world. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Michael Jordan. What's the first thing you think of when you wake up most days, other than the adv- other than the advice that you just said? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, good one. Exactly. I just think let's groove. Like that's my let's vibe. Groove. Yeah, and not not just like dance necessarily, yeah. but like let's just like let's make this day what it is. Like I have I'm, I've woken up. I've got an- I've got breath. I've got another day in my life. Like let's groove. Let's let's make it happen. Uh, if you could teach the entire world just one concept. What would it be? Self-awareness. Those are rapid questions and those are rapid answers. So, that's, awesome. <laughs> so that's part one. Now we've got part two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gonna be hoops. Google Meet, yeah. Zoom, rapid fire. To me- yeah, it just keeps going. Amazing <laughs> questions. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation, man. I think just one thing Mank and I wanted to wrap it up with is like, where can people find you? Um, you're doing awesome work with content. Mank and I both had the chance to attend that workshop as well. So um, this is your space. Where can people find you? And if people are looking at someone as well to help out with their creative content, whatever it might be, the space is all yours. Um, yeah, I'll pass it over to you. Oh, thanks so much, Sonny and Mank as well. Um, as, as you've probably figured through, you know, so many of the themes that were brought up through this conversation, um, authentic, creative expression um, and communication is something that I really, really value. And more lately in the recent years, I've learned that um, 
what fills my cup more than just doing it myself is empowering and teaching others to be able to do the same. You know, and in 2022, the tools of the trade of the smartphone in your pocket and the Instagram, you know, TikTok algorithms that we play in. But that might change in five or 10 years. So at the moment, my sweet spot is through video content. And if that's something that um, you feel like you have a message, you have a cause, um, you have something that you want to champion um, through social media, you have a message that is meaningful that you want to cut through you know, a lot of the noise and a lot of the stuff that's sitting out there right now. Um, I, I love working with purpose and mission aligned creators, solopreneurs, business owners um, to learn how to do that. It's easier than you think. It just feels pretty overwhelming. And, and for me, helping someone get started on that journey is probably one of the most beautiful things um, I love mm. seeing in this world. So if you just reach out to, and this may be a mouthful, we might leave it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's Black Mamba, D-A-T, Black Mamba, M-A-M-B-A. Um, that's where you'll find me on Instagram uh, and probably the best way to, to start a conversation um, about how, uh, how I can help you out. I love that. Done. Awesome. That'll be in the show notes. Um, yeah, reach out. I think obviously, Dan, um, we'll, we'll do our best as well. Obviously, you're a wonderful person. So I think for us, like being able to spread this message as far as we can, um, yeah, Mank and I will do everything we can. Like, I have, yeah, I think what Tumank was saying, like, incredibly engrossing conversation. And thank you for also flipping the questions on us as well. Um, as you can tell, it took us a moment to think about some things, but that is what allows for self-awareness and introspection. Yeah. So, um, without further ado, <laughs> yeah. I might I might sign off. So, this is Sunny signing off. This is Mank signing off. And this is Mamba signing off. and that's a wrap for this episode if you are enjoying our conversations please help us out with a quick rate and review on spotify and apple podcasts all the conversations are recorded in video so check us out on instagram and facebook at our handle at drop us a comment or a message if any of these conversations resonate with you and most importantly please share this podcast with anyone who might need it so as always this is bottled up thanks for being part of our family and see you next time